Beaches Chapel is home to, can y'all hear me? Am I on? No? There we go. All right. We say here Beaches Chapel is, is home to all, for all, to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus. But if you don't know the reference of that movie, get out. All right? No, I'm just kidding. But we will pray for you after church today. Um, we're, we're in our second week of the relationship series this morning, and we are going to be talking about marriage. Like Princess Bride just mentioned here a second ago. Marriage is what is bringing us together today, this morning. And listen, I just want to say this really quickly. Um, don't tune out anybody, all right? Because whether you're married and you've been married for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, and you're like, listen, I got it. You're brand newly married or you're not married, okay? There is something for you in this today, I promise you. Because what we're gonna find out is in marriage, there is a greater thing happening, okay? There is a greater thing at work when it comes to the subject of marriage and how we see it. And we see it in such a limited way, in such a very temporary scope of things. And so what I wanna do this morning is just really open our mind, return back to what the Bible says, what God has said about marriage, okay? Because here's the thing, y'all. God created marriage. We forget about that a lot of times because we think that we found this person, we've decided that we are going to marry them, and so it is all our doing, right? But that's not the case. For, with every wedding ceremony that I've ever officiated, that is one of the very first things that I tell the couple. God created marriage, not you, Okay, not any of us in here. And so with that, just like we talked about last week in our, in our first week series on relationships, as God is the creator of something, or in our case, everything, that means that he has authority over those things with which he's created. And that includes marriage. Okay, so marriage does not come first in our life. God does, because God has authority over it. It's not the other way around. And so we need to approach marriage, the idea of it, whether we're married or not, or maybe we're hoping to be, with the understanding that no matter what, God comes first. And I'm gonna break it down a little, a little simpler this morning for all of us in this way and say this, listen. Your spouse or the hope for your future spouse, their job is not to fix your life, okay? Their job is not to be the savior of your life. And if you are walking this earth and walking in the reality that, oh, if I could just be married, or if my spouse would just do this, and expecting them to then do that and fix you, you are not only setting yourself up for disappointment, but you're setting them up for failure. And in that comes bitterness, comes anger, and ultimately comes failure of a marriage because we have put marriage ahead of the one who has created it. And we are putting our hope in a person who is, no matter how much you might love them, at the end of the day, flawed and a sinner. Your spouse or the hope of your future spouse cannot get you into heaven, all right? It's just that, it's just that simple. And so we need to understand before we go any further where marriage is in the line of things, and it is not first, okay? It is not first. And if you've been walking around with that, with that mentality, chances are your marriage might be struggling a little bit. And it's because it is serving a purpose that it cannot serve. Not that it wasn't meant to serve, but it's not possible. 
It is not possible for any person to take the place of Jesus Christ. If it were, Jesus wouldn't have come. All right? And so let's let that burden go of what we put on our spouse. Maybe even go home today and say you're sorry to them for, for thinking that they could ever be something that they never, ever were meant to be. Okay? All right. So with that in mind, let's, let's get started with what God says about marriage. And spoiler alert, everybody, it's a little different than what the world says, okay? And we're going to talk about what God says. We are going to do it unfiltered because it deserves it. And like I said last week, listen, y'all, the world that we are living in right now is attacking our relationships, and if we don't have a foundation, if we don't have an understanding of what God says about something so important as marriage, then I'm telling you right now, it's gonna start cracking. So we have to know what God says, not what we want God to say about marriage. If we hope to preserve what God has blessed us with, if you're married, then you need to remember and walk in every day what he says about it. Because remember, God created it. Marriage is a complement to our walk with the Lord. It is not the end-all, be-all. So let's look at what God says, why he says it, and then let's walk in it, amen? Amen, all right. So a few weeks ago, look, I did say, I said, look, we, and I'll say this every week, we stand on the word of God. It is the authority in this house, not anything that I say, not anything that the elders say, or any one pastor. Every time that we gather and pray over Beaches Chapel, we say, God, we submit to what you want to do in this place. You have the authority, and it all comes from here. And so as we get started, let me actually rabbit trail real quick, y'all, okay? It has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, but as I'm holding this, it reminds me. I want to just put this out there. Let's start bringing our Bibles to church again. Okay, I, listen, I love, uh, yes, I love the, my, the word of God on, on my phone and tablet. They're great tools, okay? But there's just something about this tangible word of God that is nothing else but it, okay? And we'll even, listen, check this out. This is, this is how serious I am. If we start bringing our Bibles to church, you know what we'll do? We'll like make it brighter in here. We'll turn up the lights so that y'all can see what, and listen, I, I, bought, I bought my first pair of readers about two weeks ago, and it's changed my life. I love them. I can't wait to buy more. Okay, so I get it. I'm with you. We will start turning up the lights in here so that when we open this amazing word, it's not that funny. I mean, we all have to do it eventually, but... I'm serious, and listen, I'm not trying to be any doomsday or predict anything like this, but I think it's a good idea for us believers to not have to rely on Google to search the word of God, because who knows where that's going, and I'm just going to leave it at that. So let's start bringing our Bibles again, all right? I, I remember when I was, again, I told you this is a rabbit trail, nothing to do with this morning's message, but when I was uh, doing youth ministry, we were at Crossroads, which was the summer camp that we took, all right, <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Um, we, were, we were, you know, it was a night session, and there was like probably 800 teenagers there, and Clayton King was the speaker, and he's like, all right, everyone turn to, remember when you used to say in church, turn to? He said, turn to, fill in the blank uh, scripture, and you could just hear this whole room just go, and he was like, man, I love that sound. I want to get that sound back in the church, all right? And so if, if you remember, and it's, look, it's something that I've been doing, but I forget every once in a while because it's a new habit that I have to, I have to remember because I've been so used to just doing it on my phone. 
But, and if you don't have a Bible, if you can afford one, talk to one of us, we will get you a Bible, okay? We absolutely will, but anyway, that's just, that's a totally random side note. But like I was saying, the word of God is the authority that we stand on here at Beaches Chapel, and that's why we preach out of it. And here's what we need to remember, and it's so important today especially. Everything that is in God's word is for his glory and for our benefit, okay? Everything is for God's glory and our benefit. And when we take God's word and we get out from under it and we get out from under his authority, right? And his covering and his blessing for us, not only are we robbing ourselves of the blessing that he has intended for us, but we're also robbing him of his glory. And so as we consider marriage, we need to understand that when the Bible says certain things, it is for our benefit and it is for his glory. And if we can sit under the authority of God in marriage, our marriages will glorify him and they will benefit us. Okay, so let's keep that in mind as we read this morning. Out of, well, first it says in Genesis 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Everyone say one. Come on, say it again, one. One, okay, one. God, when he created marriage, he said the two will become one, not two. And the reason that that is so important to understand is because a singular thing cannot be in competition with itself or it cannot fight for rank with itself. It not, cannot fight for equality with itself because it is one thing. It is one thing. And so many times the enemy will try and tell those that are married that you are two things and you are at uh, war with each other, trying to vie for position. And what God says is, no, 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 no. You're not two anymore. You're one thing. And that is so important as we go forward in what God is saying about marriage. We have to understand that. And a lot of times you can look at marriages and they look like a tug of war. We have one person on this side, one on the other, and they're pulling against each other. What God intended was for both people to be on one side of the rope, pulling in the same direction as one unit, fighting together. That is the picture of marriage that God intended, that we would be one. And so when Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, he says this, y'all, listen up. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, let's keep that up. Can you go back one a little bit more to the very beginning? Okay, that's not up there, but we see that, see that word, that second word, submit, all right? It's there. In my notes, it's highlighted. Submit. I'm saying it, all right? <laughs> I am. You know why? Because God wrote it. And so we're going to say it. And here's the thing that I want to talk about with this word, submit, this morning. The world has made this word submit be this evil, nasty, sexist word that should be shunned, right? That has every negative connotation known to man. That's ridiculous. Okay, because listen to what it says here in this verse. It says, as the church submits to Christ. Let's look at that for a second because that's the context that we're talking about. Not in a worldly context of submission, but in a Jesus 
context of submission. And so as, we, as Paul writes here that the church submits to Christ, I want us to just ponder this for one second. For those of you that know Jesus and that walk with him, See, when we, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we accept him as our Savior, but when we accept him as our Lord, it's much more than that. Jesus says to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and follow him, right? And we give, of our, we give our lives to him. We say, here it is, Lord. It's yours. It's yours. We are submitting to Jesus's authority over us and the Holy Spirit moving in us. And so those times when the Holy Spirit says, go this way, and we wanna go this way, we submit to his direction because he's our Lord, right? And so let me ask you this question. Don't, you don't need to say it out loud, but just to yourself. Has there ever been in your walk with the Lord, those that know Jesus and have submitted and given your lives to him totally and completely, has there ever been one moment, one second, one instance where you felt oppressed by your submission to Jesus? Ever? then why would it be any different here? But so, so many read this and say, ah, oh, that's, that's oppression over me. That's oppression, I'm not gonna do that. And so with that attitude, not understanding what God is saying here, marriages, they take themselves out of the authority of God and they lose the blessing and they forget that, wait a second, he created this. So he's probably the one that should write the instruction manual for it even though it might rub us a little bit the wrong way when we first look at it. But it's the truth. Wives, submitting to your husband is not oppression. Amen. When we walk with Jesus, the last thing that I feel is oppression. I don't know about y'all, but this morning in worship, I didn't feel oppression. I felt freedom. Yes. When you come in and you get into the presence of God and you give him everything, he doesn't oppress you. He delivers you all the time. And so look, that is what is so important about this verse. It's as the church submits to Christ. It is a godly submission. And we're gonna get into that a little more, um, but I wanna back up here one second and make sure I didn't leave anything out. Yeah, submission, it, it also does not mean inferiority in any way. It does not mean that whatsoever. And this has nothing to do with the husband's intelligence giftedness or capability. It has to do with honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul writes, wives submit to your husband, says as to the Lord. So there might be moments when you don't wanna to submit to your husband. You feel like, no, I don't like him right now. You're doing it as unto the Lord. That is an offering to God. It is something that is pleasing to him. And so, no, it doesn't have to do with whether he's having a good day or not. I do want to touch on this, though. There's some reasons when you're not to uh, submit to your husband, and they are these. When the husband asks or expects his wife to sin, you do not submit to your husband. When the husband is physically or verbally abusive and endangers the wife or children, you do not submit to your husband. When the husband breaks the bonds of marriage by committing adultery, you do not submit to your husband. And those are just three bullet point ones. But listen, I wanna say this. If you as wives have a heart to submit to your husband, but you feel that, that he is not honoring the Lord and doing his part, which we will get to in a second, by the way, guys, then don't go to your best friend and say, I just can't do this anymore, blah, 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 and start that chain of gossiping about your husband. 
Go to a pastor, go to a Christian counselor and seek advice on how you can, in the midst of this, submit to him and try and work towards that, right? But there are certain instances, yes, where you are not uh, to submit to him. You can bring your disagreements to your husband in a loving way, but listen, here's the other side of the coin. You might disagree with him. And here's the thing about submission for all of us. It's not submission when you're in agreement, right? Like, that's just agreeing. It's when you're in disagreement that you still submit to him. And so you can voice those, but if you, if you believe, if, if, if the husband is seeking God and, and doing everything in his power for the betterment of your marriage and for your family, and even though you disagree, you submit to, and the Lord will honor it. Let's say the husband really believes that he's doing the right thing and is seeking after the Lord, and it ends up being the wrong thing. God will still honor it. God will still honor your decision to submit to him because you're not doing it for him, you're doing it to the Lord. And so do not take that as a, as, a, as a sign of oppression or inferiority or anything like that. And I want to read this really quick. So those that are looking for a husband, especially those that are, 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 are not married right now, all this means is that a woman should take great care in how she chooses her husband. I think that's funny that the, it's true. She chooses. <clears throat> instead of looking for an attractive man, instead of looking for a wealthy man, instead of looking for a romantic man, a woman should first look for a man she can respect. And say, this is someone that is so rooted in the Lord that I can submit to his, the spiritual head of this house. I can do that. Because if, if you put it last, that's not where it needs to be. Can you respect? So those that are, are wanting to be married, that is the target. Is this, person, is this man rooted in the Lord? And can you respect his decisions as the head of the house? All right, men, our turn. Ephesians 5.25, as it keeps going, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It always cracks me up when, I, when you, know, you hear these verses discussed because you never really hear this one talked about. You hear the first one about wives submitting to their husband, right? We're all familiar with that. But rarely do those that are talking about that verse ever get to this next part. Here's the thing about the word of the Lord, y'all. If you approach the word of the Lord and it's self-serving, you're reading it wrong, okay? The Bible is self-stretching, all right? It, is, it stretches us. It does not serve our own purpose. And that is how, no matter what the subject matter is, you can, you can rightfully divide and figure out what someone's motives is if what they're saying benefits themselves. Because immediately, no matter what, they're taking the glory away from God and giving it to themselves, and so if you approach someone saying, yeah, man, wife, submit to your husband. All right, let's go. We're going to do whatever we want all the time. Well, no. That's self-serving. But as we continue to read, what the task here says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the husband's role. To give of ourselves completely. Listen to what this word, when it says husbands, love your wives, what this word love means. It's a sacrificial, giving, absorbing love. The word has little, listen y'all, little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of the other. Husbands, don't love your wives when you feel like it. 
Your job is to love them always. That is a self-sacrificing love. I'll break it down real simple. You come home from a long day work, you're tired, whatever. There's dishes in the dishwasher. Go do them, all right, go do them. And I realize that my wife is watching this. And as we speak, because she's at home with one of our daughters isn't feeling well, there's a bunch of dishes in the sink. And I'm gonna have to do them when I get home. I love you, Jess. <clears throat> Keep them where they're at. <clears throat> Happy Valentine's Day. <sighs> but no, it's, it's not a feeling. God has called men to lay down our lives for our wives, to give everything we have for them, not on the days when we feel like it, but every single day as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I love the picture of Jesus right before he's about to get arrested and be brutally murdered. His last act is not receiving, it's serving. He becomes the low, as the head of the church, he becomes the lowest in the house. He takes on the job of washing the disciples' feet, which is the lowest job. And so when we talk about loving our wives the way that Christ loved the church, there's the example. With, uh, you know, look, got a busy day ahead of me. I'm stressed out. I don't, you know, tomorrow's gonna be a rough day. That didn't stop Jesus. I'm about to be arrested, about to be beaten to an inch of my life. And then after that, I'm gonna be hung on a cross. I don't really feel like serving right now. No, he did. He got down on his hands and knees and he washed his disciples' feet. That is giving of yourself, sacrificial love. I'm gonna read these, these um, some, something I read in, in some commentaries this week that compare what the world says about this versus what God says. Worldly headship says, I am your head, so you take your orders from me and must do whatever I want. Godly headship says, I am your head, so I must care for you and serve you. Worldly submission says, you must submit to me, so here are the things I want you to do for me. Godly submission says, check this out, y'all, you must submit to me, so I am accountable before God for you. I must care for you and serve you. Listen, husbands, we, do you realize that? That we are accountable for how we treat our wives and not to our friends and our family, to God, because we have now married his daughter. Listen, I got three beautiful daughters and I pray for their husbands every single day. And if they don't treat them right, they don't have to answer to me, all right? How much more so am I gonna be held accountable for how I treat Jesse? And husbands, how you treat your wives because we are caring for God's daughters, okay? That is a big deal. And you had better look yourself in the mirror and ask, am I living up to the task of caring for God's daughter? Because we will be held accountable for it. Don't you think for a second that we won't be. He loves his girls. He's the ultimate girl dad. And he has allowed us, he has given us the privilege to marry his daughters. But it comes with a big responsibility. And that is caring for them, for laying our lives down 
for them. This is the picture of godly marriage. This is the instructions that he gives. He goes on to say in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Do you notice the order that it's written there? Not he who loves himself loves his wife, but he who loves his wife loves himself. In other words, put her first. Put her first. Husbands, you having a hard time having your wife submit to you? Chances are you're not laying your life down for her. You're not taking that proper place of authority in your house as a spiritual head. Because if we do this, I'm telling you right now, if you lay down your life for your wife, she will gladly submit to you. But check this out, wives, if you're not encouraging and submitting and praying for your husband, he's gonna have a hard time laying his life down for you. And here's the caveat to this whole thing, this godly instruction on marriage. This is the one catch in all of this. If God is not in the center of it, it will not work. That's it. You wanna lay your life down for your wife? Pray for her. Over and over, husbands, you should be the biggest champion for your wife's cause more than anybody else and it shouldn't even be close. And wives, the same things go for you, for your husband. You should, be, you should be leading the parade for your husband, no matter what. You got a fight earlier in the day and you leave the house and you're having coffee with some friends, that is not the time to talk bad about your husband. Husband, same thing. In everything out of our lips, we should be praising and lifting up our spouses all the time. And as we start doing that, as that is our verbiage, not just to each other, but to anyone else that can hear us, we're gonna wanna start laying our lives down more. We're gonna wanna start submitting more and doing all those things that God has called us to do as a husband and wife. But it has to center on God. We have to understand. We have to realize that he created marriage and he brought husbands and wives together, not just so that we can have, have life with our best friend and do all these trips and things like that and grow a family. The ultimate reason why God has men and women marry is to glorify him. So he has to come first. So I want you to ask yourself this question when you go home today, husbands and wives, what is God's purpose for us? Have we lost the, per the understanding of what he's called us together for? Because I guarantee you, he's got a job for y'all to do. To glorify him and his kingdom. So what is it? Have you ever talked about it? Because if we don't know our purpose, we can get lost really quick. And if you don't know, pray about it. Talk about it. What could it be? What might it be? But listen, y'all, if God isn't at the center of it all, it's just never gonna work. It's too hard otherwise. It's too hard to be selfless in the flesh. Because at the end of the day, we're all selfish people. That is our human nature. But when we put God at the center of it, it is then that we are able to submit. It's then that we are able to lay down our lives. But you see this picture of marriage is not two separate things. It's one thing and it's this cycle. As one lays down his life, one submits. As one submits, one lays down his life over and over again. And there's no rank. 
There's no hierarchy. There's no fight for equality. There's no tug of war. It's just this unit of one, of oneness together that now is serving God's kingdom. And that's when it gets fun. That's when it gets exciting. That's when it becomes more than just the two of you and your kids or whatever the case may be. It's a God thing at that point. And we get to sit under his authority of what he created and receive the blessings of that. None of these things are a bad thing unless we make it a bad thing. These are good things that God has ordained that are still in his word. Not for yesteryear, but for today and going forward as well. This morning, we're going to take communion. So we're going to have the band come back up. And I want to go back to the beginning, what we talked about, that God created marriage, even in Genesis chapter 2, where it talks about that. And as I was preparing for this word this morning, I really want, I was like, God, I want to like look in scripture and I want to open it up and I want to like take a deep dive into this really healthy marriage in the Bible and dissect it and see what worked and why they were so, had such a great marriage and, 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 and you know, take this whole exegetical look at, at what it's saying in scripture, right? And as I began to like think about that, I was like, I kind of started at the beginning and I realized something. As I looked at Adam and Eve, I said, well, okay, they're the first ones, but as soon as there was a sign of trouble, they started blaming each other. One of their kids killed the other one, so that might not be a good one. <laughs> then, okay, there's Abraham. Well, he, uh, Sarah, his wife, had Hagar sleep with him so that he could have a child. So let's check that one off the list. That's not gonna work. And I kept going, Jacob, well, yeah, he had two wives and he favored one over the other. Oh, by the way, they were sisters. Maybe shouldn't, Examine that one. David, well, he committed adultery and only killed the other guy, so that's probably not a good one either. Let's not even touch on Solomon, shall we? <laughs> and then as I continue to consider and consider over and over, it's like, God, where are the healthy marriages? Where's the example? And here's the thing. The example that God has given us for marriage was never about a man and a woman. It was about Jesus and his church. That is the example. And we notice when we read these roles of wives and husbands, Jesus and the church is included in both. That is the example. Jesus loved us so much that he gave of his life for us so that we could have a oneness with him that could never be broken. And the truth of the matter is, I understand there are some people in here that have had marriages and tried everything that you possibly can to make it work. You prayed about it, you sought counsel, did everything in your power and it just didn't work out. The marriage between Jesus and the church will never fail. God will never let you go because that is the ultimate love. That is the ultimate oneship. It says in Romans 8, verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the example of oneness. That is the example of true covenant relationship. 
that Jesus said, I'm gonna give everything of myself to save you so that we can be in relationship, so that we can walk together through this life. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never give up on you. And that's what it's about. Earthly marriage is a very temporal version of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. That is what we're after, and that is the example. And I just wanna speak to those this morning that you read that verse and you hear it, that while we were still sinners, Christ died, and, and you've been waiting to stop being a sinner to accept Jesus. The, the mentality has been, you know, when I get my life together and when I clean up my act, then I'll receive this proposal, right? This offering that Jesus has given me to be one with him. But what God has said, no, 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 no. While you were still sinners, Christ has already died. He's given his entire life for you so that you can have a covenant relationship with him in eternal marriage. Listen, when you go to weddings, it says till death do us part. No, with Jesus in that relationship, there is no death. If anything, it's death till us start, right? That's when it really begins. And he has us for all of eternity. That's why the church is the bride of Christ. We are his and he has chosen us to be in covenant with him, to be in oneness with him, to walk with him, to be that beautiful, perfect marriage where there is no bad day, where he covers everything. So if that's you this morning, I just wanna pray for you and allow you to take this moment to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to have that oneness with him, where you get to come in and be in relationship with him. And maybe you've been searching for a husband or a wife like crazy, and you've been saying to yourself, if I just had a spouse, God's saying, no, 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 I got something way better than that. I have perfect love for you. Let's pray. Why don't we all just repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you love me, even in my worst moments. And I ask that you come into my heart and to be Lord of my life. I accept your proposal for a covenant relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we just pray right now as we get ready to receive this communion, to, to remember the sacrifice that you made, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you didn't instruct us to do something that you yourself didn't do. You laid your life down for us. Literally, you lived a perfect life. You could have stopped it in a moment, but instead, because you wanted to have a relationship with us, you gave your life for us. And you, you gave your body over to the guards to be beaten and bruised and spit at. You endured the mocking words from those that were watching. You stayed on the cross with the nails that went through your wrists and your feet with a crown of thorns on your head. As you suffocated on that cross, 
in more pain than we could ever imagine. You let your body go for us. And we thank you for that, Lord. And so we take this bread that represents your body and we do so in remembrance of the sacrifice that you made for how much you love us. Let's take the bread. And Father, we thank you that as you endured that beating in that time on the cross, all the blood that was coming out, Lord, but that blood we read in your word is so much more than bodily blood. It's, it's the thing that washes us. You were that sacrifice that took away our sins. We know that sin requires a death penalty. And that's what you were for all of us, Lord. When the enemy thought he had victory, it was you that had victory. And we get to live that out every single day as we approach you and we make these mistakes in our lives. Instead of beating ourselves up or you making us feel terrible, you take that blood that was spilled on Calvary and you pour it out over us and you wash us clean. We thank you for it, Lord. There's no words, God. We really, even to this day, don't understand all that you did. But God, we receive this gift. God, pour out that blood on us now for those of us that have been walking with sin and it's just too much for us to bear. If there's anyone in the room right now or watching online that has been hiding this sin and you've been feeling condemned or so much shame, take this cup, take what God has given you and ask for forgiveness and he will wash you clean. Father, we take this cup in remembrance of your blood, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand back up and, and worship some more.